Welcome to Commerce Conversations by Commerce Ventures, the podcast where we dive deep on fintech and retail tech with industry experts. I'm Claire Jacobs, Head of Content and Community at Commerce, and today we chat with Jay Dearborn. He's the Chief Strategy Officer at WEX, the major B2B payments player where he drives the strategy and operations of the enterprise. Jay sits down with Ice and Vivek from our team to talk about fleet payments as a subset of the broader B2B payments world. They dive into different changes the market's facing, like the onset of electric vehicles and the influx of venture funding and startup challengers. Listen in for more about the fleet world here. Jay, thanks so much for having us. Great to have you on this podcast. Maybe just to sort of d- dive right in, Wex is obviously a large payments company. We know it extremely well, but, but not everybody that's listening to this may know everything that Wex does. Tell us a little bit more about Wex and, and kind of the different parts of the company, what you guys focus on, and then yeah. also your role there. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. And thanks for having me, Ice. If you step back and you look at Wex from 30,000 feet, what we're all about is simplifying the business of running a business. Think about this as helping out businesses large and small with the administration of what they do to deliver their service. We do that really through three different lenses or three different product sets. I would start with benefits, which is HSAs, FSAs, HRAs, uh, COBRA, all of these consumer-driven healthcare products that make healthcare here in the United States go around. Second would be our corporate payments business, one that I had led up until a couple of months ago, really focused on how do corporations pay their bills, whether that be on invoice or on card. And the final one is on our fleet business. So how do you manage your assets in the field? At a glance, think of us as $2.4 billion in revenue last year, a billion in EBITDA, uh, about 6,600 employees globally. Great. And as you think about those three different businesses, are there things or assets or capabilities that sit common across them? Or how do you think about the obvious points of connectivity? Yeah. You know, I think about it in two ways. First of all, is through the customer lens, like always start with the customer. They don't want to be doing any of these things. They're all tertiary to whatever their primary business function is. And so what pulls them all together, whether we're serving the CFO or CHRO or a small business owner, is taking care of the administration in the background. So that that's from a customer point of view. From a WEX point of view, I think about payments and the T account, right? So how do you move the money and then how do you store the money? That's really kind of the tie that binds in behind the infrastructure of everything. That's interesting. And as we think about fleet payments, you could certainly make a case that fleet payments, depending on kind of where in the market you're playing, is, is sort of a part of corporate payments more generally. Um, yeah. And before we go into fleet as a very specific kind of category, because I, I think it, it, for us, it's very interesting for a couple of reasons. But before we go into that part of the market, maybe just to touch on the broader category of corporate payments. We'll, Clearly, you know, Wex has been around for several decades. What do you think are some of the biggest shifts that you're seeing in the market right now, given where the market has been? And how do you think that corporate payments generally are evolving if you were to sort of think about like three or four really big themes? Yeah, I think one theme has been multi-decade, which has been the digitization of B2B payments, just full stop. You know, I started my career in 2001 at American Express, and we were talking about the death of the check. And it's 2023, and you and I are still talking about the death of the check. B2B is kind of the last bastion of manual payments. And that's a long-term secular trend that will continue to affect B2B. That will come as no surprise to anyone. I think what's what's really emerged over the past couple of years, though, is the consumerification of B2B. 
what they experience with Venmo or PayPal is what they want to experience in their B2B software solutions. And so, you know, for us, as we're thinking through our product offering, we're hyper-focused on the UI. How do you make UIs that are elegant? How do you make them simple? Again, probably long-term convergence between software and payments. And so a topic that has gotten increasing traction over the past, let's say, half decade is this concept of embedded payments. How do you take payments really as a widget, as a service, and put it inside software as a way to make that software more useful, but then have a secondary means of monetizing whatever the software engine is? Yeah, I think that resonates. I mean, a bunch of that resonates with what we what we've seen. We've seen generational change happen, certainly in verticals, right? As you know, SMB owners go generation to generation, or kind of younger purchasers end up taking over the chief purchasing officer role. Not only are they more open to using technology, most of these folks have kind of grown up with next generation technology that enables them to to kind of work. And that's actually informed a lot of the work that we've done at the intersection of kind of vertical financial services or financial services and the world, as we call it. And the thought is that there's three things that are largely changing. You've touched on basically two of them, which is one, you have uh, verticals where people have already gotten used to software at scale. So you think kind of Procore and construction or Viva and healthcare, right. whatever it might be. The second is you have a massive labor shortage. So people have a push towards automation. They want to be using these technologies. And the third is another thing you mentioned, which is the embeddability of payments, right? The last three years of nothing else was gained from $10 billion of venture funding. It is easier for a software platform to launch payments today than ever before. And so we are really excited about this convergence of kind of financial services in the world. Would love to hear how you guys think about kind of vertical financial services. Do you view them really as just kind of applications of horizontal B2B payments? Do you look at kind of fleet versus healthcare versus other categories as completely bespoke? How does Wex kind of see that happening in front of them? Yeah, there's a lot in there. And first, just a quick comment on the second trend that you mentioned around the labor shortage. I mean, COVID, we should all recognize COVID is the great accelerator. It has forced so many businesses that were resistant to go digital, to go digital. And you know we're all benefiting from that push towards more and more digital. I think of ourselves in the way that we're thinking about segment-oriented solutions. We've been at it for three decades. The recipe is quite simple. It's every single segment has its own unique workflow. You have to start with the workflow, right? I mean, again, starting with the customer, start with the workflow. We've been doing the fuel card thing now for over three decades. For us, the recipe for fuel cards is how do you move the money reliably, you know, all the time? How do you enrich that movement of money with data? And then how do you take those two pieces and wrap them in a technology that allows like a fleet manager to have the proper controls on top of it to, you know, with many of our larger over the road trucking customers, how do you serve that all up via API such Mm -hmm. that they can incorporate it into their dashes? You know, it's all about how do you take the payments, the data and the technology, put those three things together in a way that's bespoke for a particular segment. And you see that rinse and repeat, not only at WEX with our three segments, but in the industry as a whole. What's unique for us, and you know, Ice, you were hitting on it at the very beginning, like what ties it all together? For us, it's common payments infrastructure and common treasury infrastructure. For us, you know, we own a wholly owned industrial bank and we own e-money licenses around the world. So not only are we spending $160 million a year on technology, building it, maintaining it, doing that great new stuff that you would as a tech company, but we're also the issuing entity 
where we have all the compliance jurisdiction there. We have probably six billion worth of outstanding receivables today. So we're infusing credit into this whole system as well. It's an interesting perspective to to hear it from, because I think from the outside, you know, there, I mean, there's a lot of vertical fintech opportunities, right? You've got hospitality, you've got travel, but only one gets its own interesting public market subsector, right? In its fleet, right? You have, <laughs> and it seems like there's something about this space, whether it's complexity or the fact, you know, I was reading the other day that it's the most common employer of adult men in all 50 states are trucking companies or either either independently owned or otherwise. And I think it's easy to forget the role that this industry plays in all of our states and across the country more broadly. But it's fascinating to hear that for you guys, again, it's a, despite the kind of application being bespoke, it's built on top of this common layer that enables multiple hairy, complex payments applications. And so maybe the question back to you is, knowing what you know from inside of WEX, why do you think it is that Fleet garners this kind of separate, it's a different hairy animal that many people don't touch and the few that do, it's kind of a big portion of what they do. Curious to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I think it's not overly complex. I think it's just been around for a long time. It's the prototypical B2B verticalized solution, evidenced by the fact that it's been around for three decades. And as you noted, there there are only a few players kind of at the table right now, purely focused on it. It's a massive TAM. When we look at the TAM on a global basis, it's approaching double-digit billions and growing roughly at GDP maybe GDP plus just a little bit with uh, the fuel increases naturally over time. Um, but it's just a really big space. And you know, for us, I, I mentioned our revenue number in the fleet business of the 2.4 billion, our fleet business was 1.4 of our 2.4 billion in revenue. And at 1.4 billion and a TAM approaching double digit billions, there's a lot of runway here in this space for us as well as everyone else. There's a couple of things I want to unpack there, including TAM expansion, but maybe just to touch on, you know, I'm, I'm sort of smiling because you touched on fintech. And there's a little bit of this paradox, at least as we think about the space, in the sense that you mentioned Fleet's been around for several decades. You know, you have several large existing established players in this. Yet, as we look at it, you know, really a lot of venture packed sort of flurry of activities happened in the last, call it 24 to 36 months, right? And you've seen obviously several meaningful investment rounds in a variety of companies. And by the way, not just around the fleet car piece, but I would say the, the broader sort of quote-unquote trucking value chain. Um, I, I'm curious to get your view on this. Why do you think venture capitalists and startup founders have sort of just woken up one day to the fact that this is a big TAM? Or is there something unique about sort of the now? Uh, what's unique about the now? Well, I think I think one of it is there's over the past at least half decade, if not full decade, the amount of money in PE has just gone through the roof, right? And, and you guys know this better than most, is there's a huge amount of dry powder at any given point sitting on the sidelines waiting for great ideas. And so that creates its own market of great ideas to go off uh, and hunt. I think people have known that it's been a large TAM for a long period of time. I would say, you know, another thing that's contributory to it is MasterCard for a long period of time has been focused on B2B, decade plus. Visa hasn't. And there's a game of catch up for Visa to play that they're now fully aware of. And they decided strategically to shift in that direction, let's say in the past couple of years. And under Ryan's new leadership at Visa, I'm sure that will continue. It, look, I think the other thing too is technology development has become far more easy. 
Yeah, maybe just following up the, the Visa MasterCard comment, I think one of the interesting yeah. things that we've seen is exactly that point, right? Which is several of the business models around fleet that we see you know, are really being built on top of open loop connectivity and gallon level data that now you, you've clearly seen Visa catch up to MasterCard in terms of enabling that. And I would say the innovation there is probably more of a uh, innovation around payment data access. And we've seen the same thing in healthcare, again, early days, but around being able to do things like MCC-specific transaction qualification and the same yeah. thing in fleet, right? If, if I have a car product that has a trucker, you know, I can now use for fuel-specific purchases with gallon-level data to qualify and settle back, but I can also use that car product for the C store and whatever else. It's both mm-hmm. easier to launch, but it also expands the TAM back to your earlier point. It does, do you, yeah. Like, yeah. How do you think about that? And especially given the fact that WEX is a closed-loop network. Well, it's only goodness. It's goodness for everyone in the industry. MasterCard has had those products that you're talking about in place for more than a decade at this point. Visa has just launched them in multiple versions of them over the past half dozen years and just starting to get pickup on them. Like you said, it enables the industry to have just more tools at its disposal to be able to serve customer needs. For us, we have 800,000 customers in our customer set and you know we're privileged to serve Everyone from the federal government to large Fortune 100 corporates to ICE's plumbing and heating, you know, in Burbank. For us, it's with that installed customer base. How do we continue to deliver value? Our closed loop network is a piece of that, right? It it allows us to put controls and introduce new controls in a quite a facile manner. We don't have to go through all of the red tape of a large open loop network. We are the issuer. We are the acquirer. And we're the network too. If I can take us put put that in the context of kind of the the fleet opportunity, I think what one of the things that we've noticed, I think we were talking just a little bit ago about what has changed. Our perspective is that one of the interesting things that's changed has actually been the trucker, right? So I think less than 30% of truckers actually have a downloaded app on their phone. And what we've noticed is that number has gotten, you know, continues to increase. So actually it's the ability to aggregate parts of the market that weren't able to be acquired at scale before and then serve them to your point, Jay, not with like rocket science technology, stuff that's been around and is relatively usable, but kind of merging the two. As you think about the parts of this fleet universe that have been served really well versus parts that haven't been served really well. So think about that as kind of the layer cake of TAM, kind of upmarket, midmarket, and then the downmarket, and then by function, right, by kind of fuel card, expense management software. Where is the quadrant where you like, you know, this I think is done, you know, upmarket fleet expense management, we've done a great job. Where's the, this is the opportunity. We should be working there. Startups should be working there. Curious how you think about that. None of us done. That's <laughs> <laughs> the long and the short of it. I mean, look, look like you started to walk through the way that you were segmenting it. You know, the way that we segment it is when we think of the fleet, the fleet overall opportunity, we start with the movement of goods and the support of services. Just start there. And so you alluded to trucking. We call it over the road trucking, OTR. That's the movement of goods. Those are primarily big rigs moving goods back and forth across the United States. That's its own segment. And they're big guys who are haulers and they're individuals as well. Then on the services side of the business, we largely think about two buyers. One is going to be the fleet manager. So, you know, your large fleets or mid-market and above, you have a professional. It's a white-collar job. 
you know, who's there managing the assets and the people that are in the field. And as the buyer, what we're trying to do or to serve that buyer is give them all the tools that they need to control, to see, to create transparency and to put in place a policy that works for whatever bespoke business that they have. The final segment that we think about is the small business. And in many cases, it's the owner of that small business mm-hmm. who has a limited amount of time. And certainly the operations of a fleet are the last thing that they want to focus on. And so how do you create as simple of a product as possible to put in their hands to enable them to do what they do? But I don't think any part along here has been solved, right? I think this is a work in progress. And if you go back to what we did 30 years ago, the product has evolved quite a bit over time. Yeah, that makes a a ton of sense. When we think about trust in consumers, we think there's two implications of high trust or low trust relationships. High trust relationships, even when NPS is low, causes CAC to be really hard to steal them, right? So say what you will about consumers hating their B of A account. At the end of the day, they're pretty sure B of A is not going to steal their money. So it's really hard for a neobank to like (laughs) grab that consumer and rip them away. And so one of the implications of a lower trust relationship is you can have a much more efficient CAC efficiency from stealing a customer from from you guys or Flickr, whatever it might be. So that's one. And it's helpful to get a sense of kind of, as you guys are kind of increasing your transparency, it actually makes it much harder for new entrants to come in and kind of steal customers. One of the other implications of trust is the ability to go from you know product A to product B to product C. And so one of the most common things we hear in all of vertical fintech, particularly when it comes to raising venture money and specifically in truck, nobody wants to just be a fuel card. Everyone wants to be a fuel card and an insurance broker. They want to get you into the C store. They want to help you with repair shops. They want to give you credit and lend. How realistic or unrealistic, you know, from somewhat you, you guys have been in the, yeah. the nexus of vertical fintech, specifically in tracking for a while. When you hear these stories of folks starting in kind of column A and expanding to 15 financial services, do you just immediately say, hey, that is impossible for reasons you don't yet understand? Or is it kind of, hey, you know, we're doing the same thing. We're, we're planning and expanding a bunch of financial products. So come join the race. For us, you know, we're in the game of simplifying the business of running a business, right? So at the very heart of what you just elaborated, that's part of what we do, which is figure out how do we attach other products that simplify the administration of running that corporate, whether that be a small corporate or a large corporate. I think there's an essence there that is correct. There's quite a bit of nuance I would put around it, though. The first piece is you talked about financial services, like add-on financial services, that very much is focused on the business model of who's selling as opposed to what is the need of the buyer. And for us, I think our big learning has been focused less on what we can do, but more on what are the bespoke needs of the different end segments and their buying behavior, and then how do you extend your current product set to meet those needs that they have. Then the final thought I have is extension of credit beyond fuel. You know, we're getting into other segments of spend other than just fuel. For us, because we own the bank and we insert so much working capital into the ecosystem, our primary product is just fuel focused. And what that enables us to do is in our credit models have just really tight understanding of the underwriting risk that we have. The reality is our credit losses are very, very low. And part of that is because the behavior we see with those that have assets in the field is the last bill that they will pay 
before they become insolvent is their fuel card bill. Because if you're not moving your asset around, you have no hope of having the revenue come in the door. And so for us, we have all sorts of early warning signs before it comes to us getting caught with a credit loss. We are also thinking of how do we expand into near ancillary spend categories to think tolls or maintenance, what have you. Then you can go even beyond that into general purpose lending as well, which is just a different animal to slay. So going back to the TAM point, the obvious question to ask would be, how do you think about fuel in the context of TAM expansion in a world where you know there's obviously a huge amount of tension on clean tech and specifically EV and the sort of movement of EV into trucking? We did focus on this for know, three plus years, rest, wrestling with that. And I think it started It started as, well, is the EV transition going to be a threat to our core business? And, and what it's evolved into today is not a transition to EV, but a transition to a mixed fleet. And I think this is actually important for us collectively to understand in the industry. We need to stop talking about a transition to EV. It's about how do we transition to mixed fleet and how do we serve up products that give a customer who, at least for the next decade, is going to have a little bit of EV, and increasingly so, particularly on the light-duty segment of that fleet, and how are they going to manage that in conjunction with their historical internal combustion engine spend? And for us, what we're really focused on is how do we deliver that mixed fleet solution all elegantly through software that enables a, a fleet manager to richly understand it or a business owner to simply understand it. For us, that's the name of the game. I mentioned the the TAM kind of approaching double digits. For us, the EV opportunity within commercial, it, it doesn't include that, right? So we think there's another probably 2 billion worth of TAM that will be lopped onto our addressable market over the next let's say six to seven years by about 2030. And so for us, it's about how do we natively put in the ability to charge a vehicle at home, charge a vehicle at a depot, charge a vehicle on the go. How do you monetize that, but then natively put that in the software stack that enables a customer to manage it in conjunction with their internal combustion engine? Yeah. I mean, even as I think about the consumer experience around superchargers, there's both I think an opportunity and a transition there, right? In the sense that I've got my credential on file within, you know, Tesla's yep. you know, cloud system, and I go up to a supercharger, I charge the car, and automatically my car gets billed. I think there's definitely a world where, to your point, over time, let's assume the EV transition progresses, that the financial services experience for the trucker still feels very specific and unique to that experience, right? Because truckers are still going to have things like lumper payments and like other things that are specific to the industry, even though the fuel form factor may shift, right? The fuel, let's just assume, you know, fossil fuels go away entirely and truckers are 100% EV. But it's this interesting question around, you know, if you assume that payments will always be critical, even if the mode of fuel quote-unquote shifts, then the question becomes, how does that product structure evolve? My own view is the payment itself, which has been the monetization engine of the service offering for internal combustion engines, I think that's less relevant for an EV application. What's more relevant for an EV application is the complexity of trying to figure out what do I buy 
How do I surface it? How do I then enable my employees to power that thing at home? It costs effectively, either through a reimbursement model or a direct payment on their behalf model. How do I give them peace of mind and frankly, myself peace of mind to make sure that I don't have assets that are underutilized in the field and people underutilized in the field during the daytime so that they can charge on the go. And then for those that are captive, how do I have essentially this big battery pack that I keep (laughs) at my corporate location, either in a corporate lot or in a depot setting? How do I deal with that thing overnight? That complexity, which actually there's not a huge amount of money moving or there's less money moving than fuel, but that complexity in our mind, commands a SaaS model. And how do you set that up in a way, again, to function natively with the internal combustion engine offering? Because there, frankly, isn't going to be pure play EV fleets of any material substance really for the foreseeable future. And so so that mixed fleet, that combined product offering, I think really is the name of the game. And for us, is what we're maniacally focused on setting up. Yeah, that makes sense. And I thinking about the future, let me maybe take a step back and try to take us back to the beginning. This is a little bit more just focused on Wex. You know, to use, to probably misuse a Jamie Diamond quote, you guys have a little bit of the sort of fortress balance sheet in the sense that you can obviously leverage a lot of capital to do M&A, et cetera. So that's sort of point one. But at the second point is, you know, there's always been this argument, certainly in payment industries, around economies of scale. And how do you think, as you kind of look to the future of WEX, how do you guys think about, and given the TAM argument that you outlined, growing volume and value to a point where WEX kind of continues to double down on its position as a large independent company going after that TAM? There are a couple of thoughts that come to mind on that. The first would be this fuel card business that we've built over the last three decades, I think looks more and more like a mobility business. It's about how do you move your assets and your people in the field in giving, and again, kind of simplifying the business of running a business. It's how do you simplify that in a way for an owner operator or a fleet manager? That really is where we're taking the overall business unit into EV is one of the biggest pieces of that. But you mentioned lumber payments before too, right? That that actually already is a piece of it. I think about our corporate payments offering and, and how are we enabling not just fuel card spend, but invoice spend and general purpose spend. How do you bolt that in there too? We all in business you know, probably understand that single point solutions don't exist in the long term. Multi-point solutions rule. There's always this, this ever convergence towards multiple point solutions that more fully serve a customer's need. And for us, it's about breathing life into that for our 800,000 customers. And this is going to be a natural extension on, on what your your answer just was. But I think we I said I would be pretty terrible interviewers if we didn't ask the chief strategy officer. The obvious question is, you know, you, you have a bunch of these businesses, you guys are innovating on on a couple levels across all these verticals. You know, curious what you personally are most excited about when it comes to emerging areas when you're kind of you know pitching the board or your team on kind of the next five years. Is there a category or an opportunity that you're most excited about where you know startups who are listening or founders who are listening who are interested in partnering, getting acquired, kind of helping you guys achieve that milestone? Is there a category or two that easily comes to mind? 
I mean, look, I have, as the chief strategy officer of WEX, I have the amazing privilege of seeing not only this fleet industry evolve, but consumer-driven healthcare in the United States evolve, the broad B2B corporate payments market evolve too. When I look at things out in the marketplace from an M&A perspective, or I'm thinking about our own capital program, I'm thinking about the customer. <laughs> and and we have a finite set of customers that we... Or a finite set of customer profiles that we work with. We just work with lots of them. But when we go and talk with our customers, it's about what are they struggling with right now? And so if I see a deal thesis that ends up on my desk or I'm going and hunting for it, it almost always is it starts with a customer problem and a real rich articulation of walking a day in that customer's shoes and trying to not focus on the business model per se, focus on what is the workflow that needs to be solved. And then find the supporting business model, technology, financial chops, whatever it may be, that then you know meets that customer where they need to be met. That's great. Thanks, Jay. We really, really appreciate the time. I thought this was a pretty, a pretty wide-ranging discussion, uh, but we obviously really, really appreciate your perspective on this. Yep. Thanks for having me. Hope to do it again sometime soon. That's all for this episode of Commerce Conversations. If you want to keep up to date with cutting-edge themes and opinions in the commerce universe, you can follow us on Twitter at CommerceVC, find more of our content on Medium at the same handle, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, commerce.vc. Thanks for listening.